A few years ago, I, I traveled with a group of doctoral students to um, Seoul, South Korea. We went to visit some of the most dynamic churches in the world because the five largest congregations in the world are all in the same city, the city of Seoul in Korea. Uh, if you know anything about these churches, you know that they are, um, they are on the weekend services. That typically they have Saturday night services and Sunday, several on Saturday, several on Sunday. Anywhere from 8 to 12 services at some of these churches. Sanctuaries that hold thousands of people. And their clergy often tell the people, please don't come to more than one weekend service. We want to make sure there's room for everybody to get in here. There are five churches that have over 80,000 members each. One of the churches has has planted other congregations around the city of Seoul and, and in fact all over the world. This within this this church almost serves like a denomination has eight hundred thousand members in this single church, and so that's why we went there. We went there to to visit these churches. While we were there, we thought we would take in some sightseeing. Went down to the by the 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 American Army base, and and there were some shops all up and down there. And so we shopped, and and some guys came back and said. Did you know you can get a tailored suit for $200? And so they're down there getting these, these tailored suits and, and buying food and doing all the sort of things you would do. And then one day, somebody said, let's go to the DMZ, the demilitarized zone, the, the, the border between North and South Korea that is um, on one side. I mean, it's literally a, a painted stri- uh, stripe on the ground. You know, it's a, a little concrete block that stands about six inches. Uh, that's the whole line of demarcation between the north and the south. And so you've got North Korean soldiers with weapons and, um, and bases and, and uh, you know, like towers to shoot from on one side and American uh, and Korean on the other side. And they are literally in a face-to-face standoff every day of the year. And you can go up there. But when you do, here's what happens. They get you in a bus and they drive up to the very last checkpoint. And a Marine officer uh, is with you and, and he takes you into this room. And it's about the size of this room, but it's like a, a, a movie theater. And he tells you a little bit about the history of the Korean War. About the armistice that signed in 1953. And how their countries are really technically still at war. It's a ceasefire, not a peace agreement. And so every day they stand face to face with just the slightest provocation, able to send back into a full-fledged war. And then he told us a story that happened, I believe, in 1974. A a, a Captain Arthur Boniface took a group of American soldiers down to trim this this poplar tree that had grown up so much that you couldn't see when um, North Korean soldiers would come across the bridge and capture... American and UN soldiers and, and take them hostage back across the other side. And so they had to trim this tree so they could, they could see and make sure that the, they could keep these people safe. Well, when Captain Boniface led this group down to this, um, this, che- this tree to, to begin to trim it, they got out and they started working on it, and a group of soldiers from the north came across. Pretty soon a fight broke out. Captain Boniface had his back turned. One of the North Korean soldiers grabbed an axe and stuck it right in his back. He died right there that day by that tree. All of a sudden, there were gunshots that were fired. It was, in a, um, it was a very hostile uh, moment, and it looked like war was going to break out all over again. He tells us this story. And then he says, coming around right now is, a, is a, an indemnity form that says that you will not, the United States government cannot guarantee your safety, and you will not hold the United States government responsible if something bad should happen to you. 
And if you'll sign this, I'll take you up to the, to the line and show you something really cool. Um, and so we signed and went. And uh, knowing that there's no guarantee of safety, that he just told us that the, a person had died up here, been attacked with an axe, no less, that there were gunshots, that there would be people standing closer than some of you are to me right now with loaded machine guns looking directly at us. In fact, he even took us when we got up there into this room at the United Nations building, about the same size of this, this building, and we actually walked across the middle of the room and we're in North Korea. It was a tense situation. And yet we were there with cameras taking pictures like tourists at Disney World. I mean, we're looking at, you know, oh, look at us, you know, we got pictures of North Koreans over our shoulders and uh, sometime come over to the house and I'll show you them. You know, I didn't do that because I was brave, because the truth is I'm not. In fact, you could ask my family, I don't even watch scary movies unless I hide under a blanket. You know, I'm really, a, I'm really kind of a chicken. And so I didn't go up there because I was brave. I went up there because I knew, you know, sort of deep down inside I knew. This Marine soldier, this officer, who told me the United States government could not guarantee my safety. I knew that the fact of the matter was he would die to try to protect me. Him and all the other soldiers would do exactly that. They would put their very lives in line to protect me and all the guys who are with me. It's why we sleep well at night. Because there are men and women who put their lives on the line for us every single day. We know they're out there. We know that while there are people out there who would love to do harm to us, that there are, other, there are many more. There are many more men and women who are out there protecting us. Soldiers and police officers and firefighters and all of that. We have this sense of security and safety, not because there's, there's not a threat, but because we know that there's someone between us and the threat. But wouldn't it be nice? I mean, imagine this. Wouldn't it be nice to go to bed and not have to worry about that? Not even to have to have an army. Not to have to have police officers. That we could go to bed and not worry about anyone doing us harm. Wouldn't it be great if the South Koreans tonight could go to sleep and not worry about being shot by a missile? Anybody seen the news lately? Uh, have, you, have you paid attention? Uh, you know, there are war games going on in the Yellow Sea right now. Very hot situation. Very hostile situation. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to worry about that? If we didn't have to worry about armies and missiles, if we could go and get on an airplane without getting a very intimate moment with a TSA agent, I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful? It would be, I thought it was funny. It would be it was great! <laughs> wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to worry about people doing us harm? And that's sort of the vision Isaiah gives in Isaiah chapter 2. You heard it, didn't you? I mean, you heard of this, all this, these great things that are going to happen. The nations are going to flow into Israel. They're going to want to learn about God and His ways. Let us walk in the ways of the Lord, the nations are going to say. Jerusalem, like a mountain, is going to be lifted up above all the other mountains of the earth. Now, he's a preacher, Isaiah is, so give him a little, bit of, um, a little bit of poetic license here, okay? It's not like the mountain is literally going to be raised up, is it? No, you know that. What's going to happen? Jerusalem is going to become the most significant city in the world, the prophet says. He's preaching about a time when, when nations are going to come flowing into Israel because they're going to be so hungry for a relationship with the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
when the countries are all going to say, let's go learn of the Lord. Now remember, Israel is a small nation when Isaiah preaches. It's not a very big nation now, but it was smaller and even less significant in the political landscape then. They had been through a civil war. Isaiah lives in the south. Probably has a little southern accent, I'm guessing. And, and the nations to the north, the, the northern kingdom, took the lion's share of the people and the tribes and the land. Ten tribes to the north, only two to the south. The northern kingdom is right now on the verge of real war. The nation to the north of them is called Assyria, and they are breathing hot and heavy down on the northern kingdom of Israel. At the time Isaiah writes this, don't miss this, at the time he writes this, the northern kingdom is about to be invaded by Assyria because they refuse to pay money to these sort of bullyard bullies, or these schoolyard bullies who are wanting to, to kind of keep them uh, under their thumb. The Assyrians were basically saying, pay us or we're going to destroy you. And the northern kingdom of Israel said, we'll make an alliance with a few other nations and maybe we'll, we'll keep you away. It didn't work. And Assyria destroys the northern kingdom. In fact, they so thoroughly destroyed them that those ten tribes were virtually wiped off of the face of the earth. And Isaiah says, guess what's going to happen? I see a, I see a widespread religious revival. People are going to be flowing into Jerusalem. They're going to be desiring to learn of the Lord. They're going to want to change their lives. They're going to say, let us walk in the ways of the Lord. And I think if anybody had read this in the 8th century B.C., they would have said, is this man crazy? He must be certifiably insane. This isn't happening at all. Look around, Isaiah. War on every newspaper. War is on the, the edge of, of about to break out in every country. How can you say widespread religious revival? But he doesn't stop there either, does he? They're going to take their swords and turn them into plows. They're going to take their spears and turn them into pruning hooks. All these soldiers, all the soldiers you see, the prophet says, guess what? They're going to become farmers. And they're going to be out there picking pears out of the trees. This is what's going to happen. It's going to be a great day. A time when, when nations are going to be finished with the business of war. When life is just going to be wonderful. Peace, peace, everywhere it's going to be peace. And somebody in the 8th century might have said, Isaiah, look around, pick up a newspaper. I don't know, maybe they had the Jerusalem Gazette back then. You know, look at, look at something. You can't say there's going to be peace. That doesn't look like there's going to be peace anywhere. You can't say there's going to be revival. There's no sign of revival anywhere. Why do you say this? Why do you say peace when there is no peace? Why, Joe Boisel, are you reading this passage when the USS George Washington is parked right off the shore of North Korea and any day now we could be at a full-fledged war on three continents? Is Isaiah crazy? Has he completely lost his mind? Well, maybe you think he has. But in the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. I want you to think about the effect that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has had on the world in the last 2,000 years. 
I want you to think about the way that his lives have been changed in individuals' homes and the way that has resulted in widespread change in the world. The way that we deal with people differently today because of Jesus. Because of the one who pointed people towards the God of Israel. Think about just individual homes that have been changed. The way that people have learned to live at peace in their homes with one another. The way that marriages have been saved. The way that children's lives have been changed because their parents turned to God. Looked to Jesus, the the Son of God, and found a different type of way of, of living. I want you to think about the way that people literally stream into Jerusalem today. Not metaphorically, but literally. Think of the thousands of visitors that go to Israel every single day in the world. I don't know how many visitors they get in a year. Hundreds of thousands, perhaps? Maybe millions? I'm not sure. But every year, hundreds of thousands of people streaming into Jerusalem. Why? So they can walk the very steps that the Lord Jesus walked. They can go down the Via Della Rosa. They can go to the Temple Mount. They can say prayers for the peace of the world. Paul and Pam perhaps will tell you all about that if you sign up a little thing. I just put a commercial right in the middle of the sermon. And you can, you can find out all about what it's like to go to Israel because millions of people have done it. The nations do in fact stream into Jerusalem literally every day. And in fact, metaphorically, we still read the very scriptures that were read in Israel today. The best-selling book in the world. The law of the Lord going out all over the world. There has been widespread revival. There are two billion Christians on the planet today. Just like Isaiah said. Now you say, well, wait, wait. Not everything. War. North Korea. Afghanistan. Iraq. Remember all these other places? Well, yes. Still in the headlines, war. But in the headlines around the world, in the lives of many people, peace. Right here in Hudson, Ohio, real, genuine, lasting peace. In the lives of men and women, boys and girls. And you know what? That's the message of Advent. That Christ can make a difference in the here and now. Yes, Advent causes us to look backward and say, look what Christ has done. And it causes us to look forward and say, look what's coming. We, we, we saw what the first Advent can do. Wait until the second Advent. Wait until the coming of our Lord when He judges the living and the dead. Then what Isaiah said in part will become in full. There's more to come. We give thanks what's already happened, but we look forward to what is to come. And so, like those people of old, we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We thank God that He came into our lives and made a difference. And we look forward to the day when He comes and restores everything and sets it just like Isaiah said. When soldiers will become farmers. When swords will be turned into tractors. And when spears will be turned into pruning hooks. Oh, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.